The term elder, in my mind, means God has allowed me to serve him in a particular role that has to do with um, not managing, but oversight of the church. doesn't make me more sophisticated. It just, he's utilizing the, the experiences and the um, particular gifts he's given me as a person, you know, like I have brown hair, it's turning white, but um, I also have some skills, and he's utilizing that, so it's just a role I play. So I wanted to say that, first of all, to, confu- to clear up that confusion about um, what an elder means. I'm going to talk today about hope, what I think hope is, and I looked at um, many different sources for the definition, and I settled in on a children's story um, that they might even be able to show a picture of. Um, it was one of my favorite children's stories, and it's an official story of the uh, American psyche, I guess, because it's in the Burke of Virtues. So Germany has Hansel and Gretel and gingerbread houses and ogres, and we have the little engine that could. So what is hope, and why does this story make me think of hope? Um, If you know the story, which I hope you all do, it's a very dramatic story about a hill and a train. And the, the train gets stuck trying to pull its people over the hill. So the little train abandons, the little engine abandons the train and goes to look for help. And it talks to a couple big engines. And one, the first big engine it can't help because it's getting a bath. And the second big engine can't help because it's worn out. And it finds a third engine that's another little engine like itself. And that third little engine says, I'll be glad to help you if I can. And so the, the little engine goes together back to the train that was abandoned. And they hook up and they push and they pull. And what do they say? What do they chant as they're going up the hill? That's right. I think I can. I think I can. And then, you know, as all good stories should, they get the train over the hill. So that, in my mind, is a definition of hope. And that's pretty straightforward. I mean, it's in a children's book. But the the point I want to make today is identifying in the hope that we talk about for Advent, the hope that we talk about in church, what's the hill? What are we hopeful to get over? What are we hopeful of achieving? And, of course, the answer, like all good answers in church, is Jesus or heaven. And that's true. I'm not denying that at all. But I want to add to it because those two answers seem distant. I want to bring our hope to today, to right now, to finals week, to bad job environment, to um, romantic problems, to today. And in doing that, I want to look at the verses starting in Matthew 6.25. And in there, it starts out saying, for this reason, this is Jesus speaking, for this reason I say to you, do not be anxious. Okay, how can someone say do not be anxious? 
And Jesus goes on to say, because life is not more than food and the body more than clothing. So here Jesus is talking in this verse about money and clothes. All the things that we do tend to get anxious with that we could expand because now our life is more than money and clothes. And what we really want Jesus to say is, do not be anxious for God's going to make you rich. Or do not be anxious for God's going to make you beautiful. God's going to fulfill your every wish and dream. But Jesus doesn't say that. He changes the rules. He says, do not be anxious because those things are not important. Instead of giving us what we want, Jesus tells us that what we want is not important. How can that be? Well, he goes on, and if you read through, I don't know what, I think they were going to, okay. And in the, uh, verse 34, as he's finishing this, he says, Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. What's Jesus saying? A couple things. First of all, Jesus is saying, don't be anxious because God has a plan. And he talks about how God's plan is spring follows winter and summer follows spring. The fields grow grass and the lilies are beautiful and the birds sing and they're taken care of. And just like the seasons and just like uh, birth and death and marriage, God has a plan and you have a special position in that plan. So don't be anxious because God has a plan. This is where Christian hope comes from. This is where the Advent tells us to be hopeful because we can believe that God has a plan and part of that plan was sending his son to face humility, to face death, but to give us hope. Hope that provides a solution to anxiety. So I want to talk just briefly, tell you a story about how a plan can keep us from being anxious. Now, if I'm with my kids and we're on a trip or something, and I say, don't worry, I have a plan, they're going to look at me funny because my plans often don't work out. But God's plans do. God's plan for us is that we can have a relationship with him by accepting Jesus into our heart. And God's plan for you is that you can become the person he made you to be. Whether you have blonde hair or brunette hair or red hair, whether you're tall or short, whether you talk loudly or talk quietly. God has, an in, has a plan in that creation. And God wants us to participate with him in that plan. His plan looks like everyday life. Alarm clocks, scraping windows in the wintertime, 
doing the dishes after dinner. That's what the plan looks like. But there's a significant difference about the plan that God's plan in the way we sometimes lead our life. Because God's plan drives on faith, hope, and love. And man's plans drive on greed and power and envy. It can look the same. But the theme behind it is particularly different. And God sent Jesus into the world. And Jesus willingly endured humility and death so that we could participate in God's plan. And it's a special plan for each one of us, individualized for just who we are. If you don't know God, and if you haven't ever experienced his plan, you're in the right place. You can talk to any one of us that talk here about getting to know who Jesus is. And I'm happy to share with you my experiences about living in God's plan and both succeeding and failing in that effort. But our hope is God's plan. Next on the list of people to talk at you is someone who actually is good at this. Rob is going to Oh, sorry. I'm supposed to introduce Patrick. Patrick's good at this, too. Patrick's been an elder for about uh, four years. Um, and he works at Eastern. And he's a, a wonderful man that I'm, I'm privileged to meet with on Saturday mornings. Um, and I don't know what he's going to say, but it's about hope. Thanks, John. Good morning. I think what I have to say will kind of dovetail nicely with what John shared with you. Uh, I was thinking a lot about hope in the last week. And I was reminded of a verse from Job. It's chapter 5, verse 7. And it says, Man is born to trouble even as the sparks fly upward. In other words, it's part of life. And if you haven't had your share yet, you will. Uh, I would rather face it with Jesus than without. I was looking at hope in the Old Testament, I love to just do a word search and see where it occurs and how the Holy Spirit has kind of defined it through um, the Psalms, through the prophets, through the stories of God's people. And um, hope is always linked in the Old Testament to who God is and what he's done in the lives of his people for them and his promises. But it's not an abstract and um, theoretical kind of thing. It's, it's a relational thing. It could be translated trust. 
So Israel always is putting their hope in who God is and what he's promised to do for them. Psalm 25.5 says, You are my God. You are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Who he is and what he said he'll do. Psalm 119.81 says, My soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I've put my hope in your word. I think that the Psalms probably use the word hope more than any other book in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, I'm trying to read my writing here, um, hope is again linked to who God is, um, focusing on Jesus this time um, as the incarnation of God's character, God's promises to us. And the message of the kingdom of God in the New Testament expresses a hope that's both now and not yet. The word occurs about 60 times in the New Testament, and that's about triple the amount of times that the word hell is used in the Old Testament. I think that's a pretty telling uh, statistic. It's kind of a hopipedia. It's got so much hope in it. First uh, Peter 1.3 says this, Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the hope that we have isn't in a dead guy. And it's not in a, in a fusty old book. It's a living hope. Uh, Jesus actually showed up kind of at his own funeral. The mourning was going on and he came and he ruined it. And uh, his death certificate says, never mind, on it. <clears throat> but hope for us, um, it looks like this. It, it's learned and it's lived incarnationally, in community with others who hope like us. And just as God communicates and gives us hope, in the day-to-day, as John was referring to, through history, through life, through nine-to-five um, with people, so Jesus lives in us, and he lives among us. Through our circumstances, he teaches us trust in him, dependence on him. We learn what hope looks like up close, and personal in the midst of each other's loss, pain, perseverance, and victories. It's an incarnational life. It's in the body. Second Corinthians three three, in um, the message says this: Your very lives are a letter that anyone can read just by looking at you. Christ himself wrote it, not with ink, but with God's living spirit, not chiseled into stone, but carved into human lives. I think that's a, a powerful picture of the way that God works throughout Scripture, uh, 
throughout this room in your life. I wanted to express this in looking at some, some people that I know that I, I walk beside on the journey with in our small group. Um, it's contextualized in these lives. And I looked at just a few of the people in my small group and I could have picked anyone in the group, but I wouldn't have time to talk about all of them. But I want to just talk about four people. I asked about how is it that you get up in the morning? What do you look forward to? Where, where does your hope come from? And I spoke with Lydia, who's in graduate school, and her fiancé, Tyler, is 10,000 miles away in Tanzania. He's in a remote village. There's no electricity. There's no phone. There's no internet. It's just a village. She said, hope is choosing to believe in the goodness of God in the face of hard things. She says, I write a letter each week trusting it'll arrive in the hands of the man I love 10,000 miles away. It's kind of a weird thing. You take this letter and you you stick it out on your front porch and weeks later it arrives at this village. And she says, hope looks like planning a wedding with great anticipation and looking forward to that day. Then there's Imad, who's in our group. As you know, he's an Iraqi refugee. He's been through war. He's left his homeland and his family. He's traveled here, and he's faced tremendous rejection He's been mistakenly arrested multiple times. He's been falsely accused in court. He's been homeless. He says, I get up in the morning and thank Jesus and thank God that he's in my life. His mother is elderly. She's hospitalized. She's had a stroke and heart problems. And he says, I hope to see my mom again just for five minutes. He has hope, though, for the new life and the new faith that he has here, a life with his son, Mimo, who he tells me is always awesome. Then there's Brian and Kalia Bogue. They've been praying for several years now about relocating to Thailand um, to work with students there, to work with people in se um, sex trafficking. Recently, their granddaughter, Ella, was born prematurely. And then, just this last week, Kalia's mother, who has dementia and um, diabetes, she had to have one of her legs amputated. And when she woke up, she didn't even know what had happened to her. And so they're in between Spokane and Olympia dealing with this. Brian says this um, about their daughter, Krista, and their son-in-law, Eric's baby. He says, when Ella was first born, I would wake up each morning to realize what was happening and wish it were a bad dream. I felt helpless. I saw how many everyday things we took for granted. So I've been thankful every day for Ella 
she's here, and the humbling blessing that this experience has been. Each day we're here is truly a miracle. None of us is in control, and when we think we are, we're only in denial. We're at God's mercy. What better place is there to be? Finally, there's Stephanie, who volunteers full-time at Cup of Cool Water. She works with homeless teenagers. She goes to court with them. She goes to DSHS, trying to get benefits beside them. She listens to them. She says, what gets me up every morning is I know God has something especially for me each day. I really want to know what it is, so I act on the hope that he will that I will know him through the day and recognize that particular thing he has for me and then thank him for loving me enough to use me in his mysterious and marvelous kingdom plan. She says life is hard, but it's filled with glimpses of the big picture God has painted for us before we were conceived. And those glimpses to me are almost always enough to push me through the temporary situation with joy and thanksgiving. So this is God's hope network for me. We give and receive hope from each other in the midst of life. And our network is, we have a high-speed connection with God. It's wireless. We remind each other of the hope it's beyond just Thursday nights. Romans 15 says this, I'm closing, May the God of hope fill you, plural, with all joy and peace as you trust. It's a process in him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Is supernatural. Well, I hope that um, there's that word again. Uh, that we take hope wherever we go as new communitarians, so that it overflows all over the people around us, and that we reek of hope. Thank you. awesome, Patrick. Just for fun, uh, my name is Rob. Not, that's not the fun part. Um, my name, I should introduce myself. I'm Rob Fairbanks. I have a wife named Robbie. Patrick has a wife named Lisa. And John has a wife named Nancy. And <clears throat> I have three kids. Zach uh, lives in Seattle. He's 26. Carly, who led worship here last week, is 24. And then we have a a younger son, Tremaine, who's nine. <clears throat> and uh, hope is an important topic. Advent's actually an, an important thing for us as a church. Advent means what? Do you know what the word means? Coming, right? It's uh, about the coming of Christ. But Advent season actually begins with this idea of hope, which, which speaks of a future coming, not just a uh, past coming. So that's why we're visiting the topic of hope today. 
This is this might be fun, maybe not. We'll go back to the fun part. Raise your hand if you feel like you're full of hope this morning. Okay, that's kind of what I expected. Because hope is one of those things that we move in and out of. And I'll explain why. <clears throat> we are stuck in between time. From the first advent and the second advent. That is where hope plays. I want to begin my little sharing time here with a uh, prayer poem. And you can close your eyes and pray it with me if you want. But it's a prayer that's written by um, an Old Testament scholar by the name of Walter Brueggemann. He writes this. It's called Our Right Names. You, God, toward whom we pray and about whom we sing and from whom we claim our very life. In your presence, in our seasons of ache and yearning and honesty, we know our right names. In your presence, we know ourselves to be aliens and strangers. We gasp in recognition, taken by surprise at this disclosure, because we had nearly settled in and taken up residence in the wrong places. For all of that, we turn out to be we strangers unfamiliar with your covenant, remote from your people, at odds too much with sisters and brothers. We aliens, with no hope, with, without promise, with very little sense of belonging and knowing or risking or trusting. It is in your presence that we come face to face with our beset, beleaguered existence in the world. But you are the one who by your odd power calls us by new names that we can receive only from you and relish only in your company. You call us now citizens with all the rights and privileges and responsibilities pertaining to life in your commonwealth. You call us saints, not because we are good or gentle or perfect, but because you have spotted us and marked us and claimed us for yourself and for your purposes. You call us members And we dare imagine that we belong and may finally come home. So with daring and freedom, we move from our old names known too well to the new names you speak over us. And in the very utterance, we are transformed. In the moment of utterance and transformation, we look past ourselves and past our sisters and brothers here present. And we notice so many other siblings broken estranged, consumed in rage and shame and loneliness, much born of wretched economics. We bid powerfully that you name afresh all your creatures this day, even as you name us afresh. We pray for nothing more and nothing less than your name for all of us, utterly new, restored, heaven and earth. And we will take our new names with us when we leave this place treasuring them all day long, citizen, saint, member, even as we take with us the odd name of Jesus. Amen. Let me tell you what what hope means to me. Hope means to me that I get to be the person that I long to be. Uh, I don't know if you're like me, but oftentimes... 
the thing, things I know to be true don't get actuated in my life. Let me tell you a quick story. Um, I was not raised in a home that was religious. Uh, it was a good home. I, I, I always knew my mom and dad loved me, although they didn't communicate it in perfect ways all the time. But it certainly was a home where it was together. But it certainly didn't talk about the virtue of Christ and what he brought into the world or whatever. So for me, uh, I was um, moving through life as a younger person and, and really looking for the handles to make it make sense. I also was a, a kid that was, uh, I don't know what they're called now, but I was a latchkey kid. My parents both worked. And so I was a, alone a, a lot, and I got in a lot of trouble. Uh, I'm wired fairly tight. If you're around me much, my wife, I drive my wife crazy because I have rapid leg movement. Do, does anybody else do that? Raise your hand if you do this all the time. It's really irritating. I'm, I'm wired pretty tight, and I, and, and I aggressively pursued something which I didn't know what it was. And so I got involved in, well, just whatever you think of as vices, and I got involved in them. And I, you might not be able to guess something I wasn't involved in. And I had one Christian friend when I was in high school. His name was Arnie. Uh, Arnie is a, a, an era name. Do you know any Arnies right now? No. Arnie was the only Christian I knew. Arnie was, a bit, uh, was, a, was not exactly a real extroverted person. And he never really told me much about Jesus, but he... He definitely lived different, and I could tell. And here's the weird thing. I don't know whether it's some sort of pathology in me, <laughs> but whenever I was around Arnie, I would try to act different. I wouldn't swear as much. I wouldn't do all the other stuff. I tried to be like him for some reason, and I could never figure that out. And uh, I became a Christian after a couple years of college, and I was one of those radical conversion guys where I was going this direction, doing this thing, and then all of a sudden discovering Jesus and the wonder of being named. The, the wonder of experiencing purpose and being loved. There was this radical shift, which I've never recovered from. A year and a half later, excuse me, um, a year and a half later, I had the privilege of being with Arnie. We had graduated, obviously, there's several years in, and he was living down in Alabama. He came back for Christmas one, the year that I became a Christian. And it was one of the coolest things for me, one of those top five moments of my life, where Arnie came to my house, and uh, I got a chance to be really me. I didn't have to pretend around him because Christ had actually touched my life. Now the Bible says that if anyone be in Christ, he's a new, a new creature, new creation. Old things have passed, all things become new. This is the challenge of hope for me. It's that in-between time where... Uh, I've been converted, I'm experiencing Christ, but I've also got all this tumult that's running parallel with that. 
The Bible calls that the already not yet. In other words, we have this in Christ right now, but it's not fulfilled completely. In between time, that's where hope is. Think about some of the biblical characters. Think of Moses in the wilderness for 40 years. God giving him a promise that you're going to deliver these people, and there's a million so people following him, and he's going, when is it going to happen? Have you experienced that? How about the story of a lot of the refugees that we connect with? I've talked to some of the refugees, and they actually spent 20 years in a refugee camp in a country that was not their own before they got here. I wonder if they, they thought, when are we going to get to the other side of this? I wonder about Bill and Tina Mason, one of our couples that is planting a church in Porto, Portugal, where Tina gets diagnosed with breast cancer, and the two days before she's going in for surgery, her husband, Bill, falls with a massive heart attack. And they're wondering... Why is this working like this? Have you come to that place where you find yourself in between time? See, the thing about it, we pray the Lord's Prayer all the time. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why do we have to pray that prayer? Have you thought about that? If it was all squared away right now, then we wouldn't have to pray. Your kingdom come here as it is in heaven. But here's the cool part. There is a time where that will be fulfilled, and that's what we hope in. I want to read from the end of the book. This is from Revelation 21. This is John writing from his vision, his revelation. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there were no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. And then it says this. Listen to this. He who was seated seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. It's fulfilled. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation, but there will be a moment where everything, everything will be made new. Then he said, write this stuff down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So if you want to know what I hope in, I hope that in the new creation. And I wanted to write these out because I wanted you to capture capture this with me. That new creation where shame is vanquished. Where inordinate desires and cravings are quelled. Where howling loneliness is met with intimacy. Where my obsessions, my obsession to produce and perform is transformed into Sabbath rest. Where active and passive prejudice is overwhelmed with compassion 
for others. Where the swords of the world are beaten into plowshares, and the spears of my neighbors are converted into pruning hooks. Where the grappling of motives, even the cloaked respectable ones, are purified. Where killing fields are exchanged for the sweet, peaceable land of Beulah. Where a roaring lion can lay down with a lamb. Where I will not be called disappointment, but embraced. Where I will not be called wounded, but healed. I will not be called adequate, but ample. I will not be called broken, but whole. I will not be called unloved, but the beloved. Where hopelessness, despair, and desolation are swallowed up in sheer, unfettered hope. Where we all can read the scripture from 1 Peter 1 and believe it, where Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, we have been given a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen.